your dreams can be your reality. You all, time isn't real. Okay, that is fucking crazy. Spirituality, manifestation, travel, money, entrepreneurship. Welcome to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Wright. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. This is Chelsea reporting live from Barcelona. I am currently on a mini Eat, Pray, Love journey. I am on a terrace right now recording this. So if you start hearing birds or a fountain or a scooter or anything, please know that is why I am literally outside recording this. So just a little BTS of my life. Uh, Yeah, I've been on this mini Eat, Pray, Love journey. It's been really fun, also really hard really um it's been a lot like i've been on the road now i think for five or six weeks and it wasn't expected to be this long my sister ended up coming for two weeks which has been amazing she leaves actually tomorrow which i'm so sad about and then i have a lot of stuff to figure out so i am actually adjusting to being single again and i had a permit to live in germany for a year and that's what i'm figuring out do i want to stay in germany and move to a big city do i want to move to another country do i want to move home do i want to move <laughs> there's so much to figure out as you can see so right now i'm just kind of traveling while i can and while it's summer and while things are open and then i'm going to quote unquote get back to reality so yeah it's been quite the trip and i want to do a full recap podcast and honestly though you guys i've been thinking of starting a travel podcast that's just dedicated to travel because I realize I have so much knowledge around traveling. I literally have an airplane tattoo because that's how much I love to travel. And I feel like especially this trip now being on it for so long, I have so many lessons to share that are really applicable for really anybody that's traveling at any time around like booking things and culture differences and apps to use and just like so much I want to share. And I'm like, I actually really think that would be better as a like a pop-up podcast or a separate podcast so yeah I also think it would be fun to like interview people I've met along the way Uh, I think it'd be fun to interview people that have like really interesting travel stories or tips so I honestly think I may be starting a separate podcast so just an idea not set in stone yet but let me know what you think find me on Instagram at Chelsea Rife and let me know if that's something that you would listen to So today's episode is with Scout Sobel, and Scout is the founder of Scout's Agency, which helps women land spots on other podcasts that align with their message and amplify their voice. And I've been connected with Scout now for one to two years because her agency always pitched me to have people on my podcast that they represented. And it was always these incredible powerhouse women. And I was like, who is this genius Scout that made their whole agency about getting females as guests on other podcasts like I never have heard of that so we were always in contact and then recently she's been opening up about her mental health and then she has her own podcast with her sister called okay sis as well as her own podcast called scouts podcast as you can see she does a freaking lot right (laughs) like she does so much and I remember signing up for her mental health Um, challenge in May where each day she sent a prompt around things you can do to improve your mental health and they were all things that I realized really are so small but so helpful of just dancing or drinking a glass of water or writing down three things you're grateful for and again they seem so minuscule at the time 
but when doing the challenge i'm like these are the things that improve your quality of life and your day and scout has really made it her mission to talk about that she actually was diagnosed with bipolar 2 a few years ago and she's talked about it in her new book the emotional entrepreneur which is what we talk about today so i don't want to give too much away because there is so much that scout shares around her journey with not only bipolar 2 but anxiety depression navigating the hardships of entrepreneurship which entrepreneurship itself is like the biggest shadow work you will ever do and so we talk about that and the process of running a business and managing fear and uncertainty we really cover it all and i really appreciate scout's openness and vulnerability and i truly think if you're someone that is thinking of becoming an entrepreneur or even if you just started your business or you've had a business you'll want to get this book because it really is so validating to know everything everything we see on instagram is like not as it seems and i know this and i know you hear this every week and i know you probably like it's just beaten into our brains now right like we know that everything on instagram isn't real but we still have a problem actually disassociating from that we just assume everybody is crushing it and killing it and happy and in love and loves themselves and their lives and their body and their family it's like no we're always going through something and scout's book talks about this she's really candid about what she went through what it was like getting the diagnosis of bipolar 2 and then starting multiple businesses which eventually led her to now running scout's agency and her podcast and become an becoming an author so i think you're going to love this episode and make sure you buy her book the emotional entrepreneur which is out now and before we dive into this week's episode just a reminder about two things that mic drop is open for enrollment we start in mid-september so just about three weeks away i think yeah wow it's it's crazy that it's coming up i feel like i'm i've been so excited to do this course because i know how many of you want to start a podcast and a lot of people are overwhelmed with the tech or the content or the format or thinking that their voice doesn't matter or thinking that their message has already been repeated somewhere. And we're going to go through all of that mic drop. The first two weeks are really about the foundation and technicalities and everything you need to set up. Then the middle of it is more about recording and making sure that you have quality sound as well as a quality format. And then we get into post-production, editing, launching, and promoting, as well as the art of interviewing and storytelling. So it really is a full end-to-end course all about what you need to launch a podcast. And it's everything that I've learned about podcasting in the last four years and exactly what I help my one-on-one clients do as well. So if you're interested in launching your own podcast, you can head to the link in my show notes or the link in my bio at Chelsea Rife and check out Mic Drop. There's two different options to enroll. There's the pay in full option as well as a payment plan. And I actually just also added Elevated Member, which includes voice note and text support throughout the course, as well as two weeks post-course. So as you're going through the course and you have any questions, you actually get one-on-one access to me. So it's just a $300 upgrade and you will have that whole support for six weeks. So it's actually after the course as well. So yeah, check out my show notes. And the other announcement is that for the month of August, anybody who leaves a review will be entered into a giveaway to win the Summer Reboot. The Summer Reboot is a three-day audio course. There's 10 audio lessons, excuse me, 10 minutes of audio lessons each day. And then there's journal prompts so you can integrate what you're hearing and learning. I always, always, always include takeaways and digestible things to apply to your life. So this is a really simple way to do it, which is why I made it short and sweet and just three days so you can move through it and actually feel a shift. 
So again, anybody who leaves a review, send it to info at chelsearife.com or screenshot and send it to me at chelsearife on my Instagram and I will enter you into that giveaway and I'm choosing actually five people to give this away to. So don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps podcasters more than you know. It is seriously our love language. And yeah, without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode with Scout Sobel. Welcome to the show, Scout Sobel. I am so excited to have you on. You are a business owner, an author, a podcaster, an entrepreneur, and I am so excited to dive into your book today and what we're going to cover, which I really think is going to be helpful. So welcome to the show, and I would love for you to introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to talking to you on this podcast for quite some time. Um, For those who don't know me, I am Scout Sobel. I am the founder and CEO of Scout's Agency, which is a female-focused PR agency that specializes in getting women as guests on podcasts. I am also, as you mentioned, a podcaster myself. I co-host OK Sis Podcast with my sister. I have my own podcast called Scout, where I just ramble solo about the intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship since I was diagnosed at the age of 20 with bipolar disorder and that intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship inspired me to write my book, The Emotional Entrepreneur. Um, So that's kind of my career highlights, I suppose, but I live in San Diego with my fluffy princess Pomeranian Luna and my husband. And that's about it. That sums it up. Oh my gosh, so many amazing things. And you know, you do so much, but I know from reading your book, this wasn't always the case. You talked about how you've been diagnosed with bipolar type 2. You went through so many different things, depression, anxiety, even psychosis and paranoia. So can you actually take us back to your teenage years? Like what was teenage scout like? So I had my first depressive episode at the age of 14. And looking back, to be honest, to middle school, It was definitely brewing, right? I was writing poetry and listening to emotional songs and kind of had a flair for the dramatic, I think, pretty young, but very internally dramatic. And so when I went into my freshman year of high school, my first depressive episode happened and it really, truly took me down. I was binging and restricting food. I was self-harming. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was wearing these like oversized monochromatic sweats and not the cute athleisure wear you see today, which has made a comeback. And um, it was pretty apparent to everyone around me that I was that I was slipping, that I was in a in a dark place. I really isolated and kept to myself many times. And so I was put in therapy once my school kind of approached my parents and uh, with concern, letting them know that I was self harming. They found out, and that's really what started my mental health journey. And you know, in high school, it was a lot of ups and downs. There were moments where I couldn't go to class or finish my homework, not out of cognitive ability, but just because emotionally I had such intense paralysis with my depression. But I wasn't formally diagnosed in high school because I think that my therapist and my parents wanted to see if this was hormones, right? Teenage hormones, or if there was something bigger going on, more of a mental illness. And so I'm really grateful for that because I think that if I was put on medication or treatment too early, it might have kind of messed with the trajectory um, of really what was going on with me. But I did take a 500-question test, and I ranked in the chronic to clinical depressive zone. So there was definitely somewhat of a diagnosis happening, but it wasn't until I left for college and really, really started 
developing a sense of paranoia where um, I believed men were following me home under my bed, in my balcony, et cetera. And it was when I started losing touch with reality that my therapist and my parents and myself were able to say, no, this is not teenage hormonal situation. There's something bigger going on. But throughout all of high school, you know, it was very apparent that my emotional experience was quite different from that of my peers. So there was this acknowledgement that something was going on. We just weren't sure what it really looked like. And then it took me until the age of 20 to get formally diagnosed with bipolar disorder type 2. Wow. I mean, that sounds very frustrating because you're probably, like you said, your peers are either accelerating or just on a totally different page than you. And I'm curious, did you have a friend group that also noticed this? And were you talking to them? Like what type of support system did you have outside of uh, family and therapists? Yes, all my friends knew. I went to a very small school. There was only 28 kids in my graduating class. So in that ways, we were really a community and a family. And so in that ways, everyone kind of knew what everyone was going through. And so I was the only peer in my group that was in therapy. However, you know, looking back, it wasn't something that I was ever shamed for. I was really accepted in the group. Of course, they did make some jokes every now and then, you know, if I wasn't feeling my best and I wanted to not go to a party, they would say, you know, Scout, go home and write poetry in your bed alone. Like it was, it was a joke, but it was, you know, just them kind of acknowledging and maybe not knowing how to emotionally talk about um, potentially the differences that were going on in my brain. Um, I was always the friend that was very anxious. So whenever we would sneak out, I would be the kind of uh, voice of reason saying, no, we're not invincible. No, we can't do that, etc. So in many ways, it was very known in my friend group that I was emotional, that I took a lot of mental health days, that I had difficulty handling certain aspects of life. Um, so in that way, I, I feel very fortunate that my friends didn't outcast me or treat me any differently other than like a few comments making fun in a loving way. Um, But, you know, that was 15 years ago. We didn't really have the tools to even talk about mental illness back then. And so it could have been a lot worse for me. I was never outcast because of it, which I'm very grateful for. That's incredible, especially to have so many different people in your corner on top of, you know, your family being able to jump in and and try and get get help as well. Yeah. Yeah. That felt really, really, really great. I felt alone in my emotional experience, but I never felt outcast from my community. I think it's so, it's important to know that you said you did feel alone because I think oftentimes, even when we have support, it doesn't mean that we don't feel lonely internally. And you also were talking about how throughout your twenties, you know, this, this sense of paranoia and psychosis and losing touch with reality heightened And I'm curious, those are the years where people are starting to get jobs, you know, go away, move to big cities. When you were going through all that stuff, what was in your mind? Like, did you have a life plan or was it like, I'm just trying to make it to tomorrow? You know, my life plan was kind of messed up when I was a senior in high school. So I actually didn't get into any colleges, even my safety schools, which was totally insane. Um, And so I went to community college in Berkeley with the hopes to transfer. So right off the bat, you know, I went to a private high school that was very competitive. My friends were um, going to top rated Ivy League schools. And so the fact that I came out of this private school to go to community college wasn't the best look on paper. 
However, you know, in high school, I really understood that my path was going to be different. I really hated the fact that I was summed up by a number with a GPA. I only attended and really excelled in classes that I felt passionate about, where I really recognized that giving my all in statistics and geometry and algebra and physics was actually a waste of my time, was a waste um, a waste of my purpose here on this planet. So I would really just kind of try to get 80% because UC saw an 80% as a straight B. And so I was already kind of manipulating the system, not manipulating it, but really deciding what worked for me and what didn't. And so when I decided to go to community college in pursuit of graduating from UC Berkeley eventually, I was already on a different track than my peers. So when junior year came around, I was a freshman. I ended up actually transferring to Sarah Lawrence College in New York. When I was given the diagnosis, I dropped out of college. And dropping out was very difficult. At first, it was just a semester leave, and then it became apparent that it was just a final dropout. And in that, I think at that point in my life, I had already really accepted that the linear traditional path wasn't for me. Sarah Lawrence College is a very, very alternative um, type of education, much different from you know, like the University of Michigan experience or the U of A experience that my friends were having. And so I had already accepted and it wasn't even an acceptance. It just like was who I was. I didn't really think much of it. I didn't, I didn't attempt to mold myself into anything other than what I was because my emotions were so heightened that they literally wouldn't allow me to, to live a life that wasn't, wasn't aligned, even though I didn't feel aligned at the moment within my mental illness. So at that time when I dropped out of college, Yes, there was part of me that was like, I think most of it, it wasn't a comparison game for me, like, oh, my peers are doing this. It was more this tunnel vision on what is my life going to amount to. I've never really had such a problem with comparing myself to others. I feel really blessed in that regard. So at that moment, yes, it was, I understood that the path that I was on was not as accelerated as those around me. And I knew that there was a different path for me all along anyways. So the comparison component wasn't so prevalent. Right. It sounds like you just had a lot of clarity on your own, on your own path. And I'm curious, where do you think that came from? That's the million dollar question for me. Um, You know, I think I was born with a really, really strong solar plexus chakra. I remember, which is your personal power center, I remember being very, very young, you know, four, five, six, and being very emotional and wanting to isolate. One of my earliest memories is experiencing crippling anxiety. And I liked to isolate. I liked to read and write in my room. I didn't really like to be social. And so at a very young age, I understood that the college system and going to camp in the summer, it was just not my jam. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was unapologetic about what I did want to do. And so my mom would say, well, if you don't go to camp, um, you have to sit in your room all day. And that was exactly what I wanted. And it was heaven for me. But I did have emotional difficulty moving through life. At the age of like six, I would physically fight my mom in the morning when she would try to put me in carpool to go to school. And so I think then I, think then I knew that there was something, there was a there was a tune that only I wanted to play. There was a type of life that I wanted to live in. And I was doing a tapping session the other day. And I realized that at that young age, I made a subconscious contract with myself that I would always do me, do it my way, 
really live in alignment with myself. That's never been an issue in my life, you know, pretending to be someone I wasn't or taking a career path that wasn't aligned. That's never been my problem. My problem has really just been emotionally handling this life experience. Um, now I can see looking back that it was preparing me for something greater. But when I was younger, I made a subconscious contract with myself that I wasn't going to exist in the world the way others wanted me to. But I had this inkling that I had to throw society a bone in some way if I was going to be here and thrive within society. And so that bone was unfortunately people-pleasing and being codependent. And so that's something that I'm trying to unlearn now. So when I was young, I said, no, I will always do what's in here. I will always follow my passions. And no matter what that looks like, I'm okay to break boxes and barriers and linear trajectories. And if I'm going to do that, I should probably dim down my light somewhere else. And so people-pleasing tendencies was the answer for me, which today I'm trying to experience and live my whole self without those people-pleasing tendencies. But that's, as I look back, kind of the contract I made with myself. Wow. That's really incredible that you did have that foresight at a young age and have have obviously executed the vision, right? I mean, even Scouts Agency is something that I've never seen before. And it's one of the smartest marketing things I've ever seen, like getting women on podcasts and the ROI. It's like, wow, you really did carve out that path for yourself. Yeah. And to be honest, Chelsea, it's never been this conscious decision so much. I think that where entrepreneurs go wrong or where people who are trying to architect their dream life uh, fall into a trap is overthinking and overanalyzing, is forcing ideas to be exciting and new and revolutionary, et cetera, when really I was just following my energy. I started OKSIS podcast in August of 2018 and just recognized the power of podcasting. And so I decided to start Scouts Agency six months later. And truly the the main driving force behind it was I had this idea for an agency and it included getting women as a guest on podcasts. I threw traditional PR in there because I thought no one would sign with me if I didn't have that. Mind you, I've never worked in an agency or done any sort of PR in my life. Um, And, you know, I didn't think about it. I just created a media kit. I created a list of a thousand women that I would like to work with and I started pitching. And, you know, six months later, I had a roster of 10 and I truly just followed my energy. There was no business plan. There was no thinking, what makes me different? How can I position myself in the market? Is this a revolutionary idea? I just had a spark. I had an energy that I really wanted to see through. I'm a generator, and so we kind of create and produce by nature. And this was my next idea. I've had many ideas before that that have not worked. And I think my ability to trust that intuition or to trust that excitement within and and really see it through has allowed me to come to a place where Scouts Agency is successful. However, it's not a story of waking up one day and thinking this is a revolutionary idea that is different than other people in the market and it's going to be successful and this is how. It really was, hey, I've tried like 10 other things that haven't worked. I've never been able to make a business viable. This feels like fun. Let's see how it goes. And I just continuously followed the call every time things got bigger, the agency grew, more expansive, um, you know, more high profile clients. And so it's not that I stumbled into it. It's that I took the call. Wow. I'm really glad you said that because I think a lot of people glamorize entrepreneurship and think 
out the gate. You're going to have the million dollar idea. It's going to take off. It's going to skyrocket. And people never really understand all the legwork or all the trial and error and experiments that went into it before and how many iterations of our business exist. They usually just see the eighth, ninth or 10th version. And so I'm so glad that you brought up that you've spent a lot of your 20s kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what would stick and following your energy because that's something that, again, a lot of people I don't think realize. Oh, yeah. You know, I started my entrepreneurial journey at the age of 22 when I was sitting in a coffee shop with a friend and we were looking through this new edition of this indie magazine. And I looked at her and I said, do you want to start a magazine? And she said yes. And at that time, I was barely holding a part-time job as a barista. I was fresh out of outpatient and inpatient programs, freshly dropped out of college. And, you know, something in my mind totally clicked. And I went crazy. What was first supposed to just be um, a magazine printed at Kinko's that we were just going to pass out for our friends for free really ended up, you know, kind of exploding my mind. And I really realized that entrepreneurship works with the way my mind works, you know, bipolar and entrepreneurship have high highs and low lows. And so in that experience, you know, what started out as we're going to print it at Kinko's and send it to our friends became me raising $10,000 on Kickstarter printing it at the top printer in the, in the area. A distributor picked us up and we were distributed across the country. And then Barnes & Noble emailed me for our third issue. And we had Halsey on the cover and it was sold in Barnes & Noble. But, you know, that sounds really beautiful and glamorous and amazing and exciting. And as much as it was, I couldn't make money off of that. And so I closed it down after the third issue and moved on. And so what people don't see, what they see now is me finally finding the thing that works energetically, passionately for me. However, you know, I had a magazine and then I was the director of operations for a women's media startup. And then I started a blog and then I started another podcast and then I shut that down and then I started OK Sis and now I'm with Scott's agency. You know, it just, if we are so willing to see the projections of our lives as something that kind of tumbles into the other and expands into the other, that's the way to view it because then we can continue down the energy, continue trying things until we find the thing that really works. But yes, there was no part of my journey that I woke up one day and decided to be an entrepreneur and um, OKSIS and Scouts Agency were the first things I dipped my toe into. They just happened to be the things that were meant for me. So relatable and so relevant because I know a lot of people are new entrepreneurs or starting out and they might be feeling defeated or that you're not, you know, taking off, they're not seeing the results they want. And I'm really glad that you shared that. I also want to actually go back to your diagnosis of bipolar 2. What exactly did that feel like when you heard that specific diagnosis come through? Well, um, when it was given to me, I was in New York and at college and my therapist finally delivered the diagnosis and they had been talking about the, the words bipolar disorder had been thrown around for a year prior, but it was not formally given and, you know, identified as myself. And so once I was given it, she actually said um, manic depressive disorder, and I didn't know what that was. You have to remember this was 10 years ago, and I think maybe Instagram had started, maybe not, to be honest. Um, and so the idea of Mental Health Awareness Month and hashtag self-care and all of those things were not in the forefront. People going to therapy that didn't have actual mental illness diagnoses was not a thing. 
And so in that moment, I really, truly did feel done for. I really did. I went, I ran back to my apartment with my best friends and I opened my phone, you know, and I just Googled manic depressive disorder. I'm sure the therapist told me, but I, I think I completely blacked out. I Googled it and it said bipolar and it felt extremely heavy and scary in that moment. I called my dad who booked me on the next flight home, which is when I dropped out of college. So yeah, when I was diagnosed, um, there wasn't a model for me of how to get through bipolar disorder. There wasn't communities of mental health around that I could really turn to. And so it definitely for the first couple of years was me forging my own path within that and doing a lot of trial and error for my healing. But when I was diagnosed, I definitely thought that I was done for, for sure. Oof. And then, so you're diagnosed with this. You said you dropped out of college. You said you felt done for. So what was the catalyst or turning point into entrepreneurship or taking that next step in life? So at that point, I had been in therapy for six, six years about. And so I was no stranger to the fact that I had something in my mind that either needed to be worked out or healed. However, I believe that I was taking a really passive, um, a passive, I suppose, strategy towards my healing. I showed up to therapy, but I wasn't doing the internal work daily. And so once I dropped out of college and it became very apparent that I also quit every single minimum wage job possible and internships and everything, and it was just becoming quite clear that I was unable to handle responsibility Um, and so the question of what would my path forward be was really, really being had by psychiatrists, by therapists, by my parents. And I believe the main catalyst towards me taking active responsibility and active action over my healing was when I started dating my now husband, then boyfriend, he looked at me a couple months into dating and said, listen, I don't care if you're depressed, if you're depressed and hopeful, I can be here. If you're depressed and hopeless, I can't be in this relationship. And in that moment, I had gotten to a point in my life where my college experience was destroyed. All of the jobs that I had had, I had quit. We're talking like gelato scooping and being a a hostess. I quit internships from Interview Magazine to C Magazine. My friendships had were, you know, rocky. My parents were sick with worry constantly. It was just one of those aha rock bottom moments, I suppose, where I just wasn't willing to also let him go as well and lose him. And so I ran with this idea of incorporating hope into my life. And with just waking up the next day saying, what if I was hopeful? That energy led me to going down to the self-help aisle of Barnes & Noble, which believe me back then, nobody wanted to walk down. There was like cobwebs and I thought people were going to look at me weird. Um, You know, I started expressing gratitude, three things in the morning that I was grateful for. I started developing a relationship with a higher power. I started going to support groups and actually did work the 12 steps for depression since my husband is um, 10 years sober and, and worked the steps really, really excellent steps for healing in general. And so I was 21 at that point when I started taking a more active role over my healing. And so by the time that I was 22, I was getting to a point where by no means was I stable. You know, I am about to turn 30 and I actually truly believe my more meaningful healing has happened in the last year and a half where I've actually felt safe in my mental illness. Um, But I got to the point where I could hold a part-time job as a barista. I got to a point where I enrolled in a class at community college. 
um, while I was anxious and completely depressed within it, I had a, I had an urge or I had a, I don't know what the right word is to continue to show up regardless of how I felt. And that's when I had the idea to start a magazine. I had gotten to a point in my healing where I was able to function, albeit I wasn't quite, you know, centered and peaceful and happy within, but I got to a point where I could function. And suddenly when I started my magazine, I became the girl that was over-functioning. My, my mind found a place to put its attention that wasn't de- depression and anxiety, and that truly was entrepreneurship. And so it was in that moment when I started that magazine that I realized that there was an avenue available for me. There was a passion and a career and a purpose that I could really embody and play within and love. You know, did that mean that my whole 20s were healed and beautiful and loving? No, I experienced many new symptoms throughout my 20s, including catatonia, where I physically go paralyzed because my nervous system gets too revved up or abused. And so while I was functioning and soaring in my career and trying out new things, it did take me a long time, you know, until right before my 29th birthday that I started feeling safe within this experience. I started not being afraid. I started um, taking the power back over the narratives that were told to me over the years regarding having a mental illness. And so I look back and it really has been 10 years of healing to get to this point. And I'm just really grateful that despite the challenges and the uncomfortable moments, the really, really depressive moments, the suicidal ideation, all of the things, I still showed up every single day, regardless of that discomfort, because I believe that that's what's led me here, able to tell you that bipolar is the biggest gift I've ever been given in my life, and that I feel so safe in my emotions, and that my emotional brevity and spectrum, while intense and dramatic and and you know, quite at times disruptive has given me such a beautiful perspective on life. It has given me an intimate relationship with myself and God that I would never want replaced. And it has also allowed me to create businesses and products and, and content that light me up and make me feel as if I'm here on purpose. Oh, wow. I love what your husband said, because like you just said, it seems like those words really pierced you. And made you realize that, you know, I got to change. I have to do something. And taking those matters into your own hands is so inspiring. It's so, so inspiring. I'm also curious that the thing with entrepreneurship is like, it is really the biggest shadow work ever. It's not just about making money or landing high profile guests or being a podcast host. Like there's so much that comes up that I also don't think people realize. And I'm curious when you have all this stuff coming up, not only with your mental health, but now adding the whole shadow work of entrepreneurship, how did you manage that? Like, how did you manage fear or, or uncertainty or all the things that come with entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurship is the biggest personal development game. I remember being three months into Scout's agency and just riddled with anxiety because my people-pleasing tendencies that I spoke about in the beginning of this episode were just totally taking me down with client work. And I remember walking up to my apartment at the time and looking at myself in the mirror um, next to the elevator and just laughing and being like, okay, God, you had me start a client-based business, the biggest people pleaser and codependent to work on this part of me. And so when we look at our businesses as a complete reflection of our greatest weaknesses and our greatest strengths, it allows us to, I suppose, work on ourselves in a much more concentrated way. Because if you don't, your business will overpower you. And so 
entrepreneurship asks you to show up for your life. It asks you to take a really, really deep look in the mirror. It asks you what you're made of and it shows you where you can go. And so with that, it was, I think that the reason I was able to fight fear and move through discomfort is because by the time I started Scout's Agency, I had years of moving through discomfort um, within my bipolar disorder and still showing up. That doesn't mean I was showing up successfully or that my life was my dream life or anything of that sort up until, you know, pretty much the last two years. But I, it was a muscle that I had, right? I was used to being depressed and anxious and doing something anyways. And so when it came time to it, I really, really felt as if doing Scouts Agency was my purpose. I think there was also a lot of responsibility on my shoulders. I quit my day job. And so this was my only option at that point. And having that amount of responsibility and that pressure on your shoulders, I believe, makes you make up in discomfort. But it's really the decision that I make every single day to not sweep aside my weaknesses or not sweep aside the things I need to work on. Sometimes we have difficulty fighting for ourselves, but when we have a business, it's a lot easier for us to symbolically fight for our business than for ourselves. And many times fighting for your business means working on your personal development game, working on your shadows, working on your insecurities, very similar to the beginning of my healing thing. You know, I think that I showed up for my husband, not myself, because I didn't know how to show up for myself. And so I think at times that's okay in the beginning to have something else you're fighting for and then subconsciously have it transfer over to you and your life, which it has for me. But when I started Scout's Agency, I didn't have a plan B. So with that no plan B, with no backup plan, with needing to make certain bills every single month and really wanting in my fire a viable business that could support me and my husband and my family's lifestyle, I showed up despite discomfort. And it's what I had been doing just in different ways throughout my life. And so I really urge anyone who is an entrepreneur to really accept the discomfort that comes with this, to really accept that the discomfort comes when things go wrong and the discomfort comes when things go right. A lot of the time, success can be scary. It comes with a lot of responsibility. It comes with fear of, can I do this? It comes with the vulnerability of putting yourself out there. And so all around, unless you're having a normal day where nothing went wrong and nothing went too right, entrepreneurship puts you out of your comfort zone every single day. And so in that, I find such beauty. And in accepting that challenge, you grow so significantly, so significantly. Yeah, so significantly. I'm like, I literally feel like a new person since starting my business. And it's not just from having the title of being a business owner, which is a whole like mind fucking enough itself, but like money and taxes and managing money and managing people and managing your own products and workflows. I mean, there's so much that goes into it that I'm really glad that you're pointing out that it does actually show you uh, a mirror. It holds a mirror up of like, what do I actually need to work on? And in a way, it's kind of a gift, kind of like a relationship mirror something back to you. I feel like entrepreneurship does too. Oh yeah. In a major, major way, especially because it's kind of, you know, your business is tied to the survival aspects of your life, right? Money, being able to pay bills, et cetera. So in that sense, you know, sometimes a relationship can hold a mirror up to you, but that survival um, kind of root chakra foundation in many ways when it comes to like money and physically surviving isn't so there. But when it comes to your business, it can really, really hit that tone and hit that nerve. And so I think that might be why we show up extra. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. And now I want to talk about your book, which just came out, The Emotional Entrepreneur, and you talk about a lot of what we've discussed today. 
But what was the intention of writing this book? What was the motivator? The motivator was really because I had started to speak publicly about living with bipolar disorder on OKSIS podcast and as a guest on a bunch of other podcasts. And I really, you know, with OKSIS, we interview a lot of female entrepreneurs. I am blessed that a lot of the women in my life are female entrepreneurs as well. But I also noticed that this there was a narrative that women weren't getting into the game where they couldn't stay in the game, not because they didn't have the resources or the finances or the funding or whatever it was, the education. It was because they couldn't handle their emotions. And being an author has always been my first career goal, my first purpose-driven goal that I created when I was four, and or maybe five or six, to be honest. And so when I thought about what I really, really have to offer and, and what my message here is on earth is that after I had run Scouts Agency and seen the self-development work that came through running my own business, it was very, very obvious to me that this intersection is something that people need emotional support with. They need the cheerleader on their shoulder. They need to know that they're okay in their emotions. I think so often we don't lead our dream lives just because of fear, just because of anxiety, just because of insecurity. And so what's stopping us from living our lives, again, is not resources, is not finances, is not education, is not the network or who we know. It's our emotional ability to show up every single day. And so in practicing that, over and over and over and in double downing on that practice through my mental illness and through my business, I wanted to provide that safety and that confidence for others. That's incredible. And I know that there's so many women that want to start businesses or like I said, are probably in the process and they're really overwhelmed. Like you said, they have that anxiety. They they can't understand what's next. There's a lot of uncertainty with entrepreneurship. So if you could give anyone that is diagnosed, diagnosed with bipolar 2 or really any mental illness or mental health issue, what would that be? Like what guidance or advice would you give them? The main piece of guidance and advice is to have them know and believe that they are safe in their emotions, that we can reframe our relationship to our emotions, not as invaders or destroyers of our life, not as things to resist or get rid of or prevent, but rather things to listen to. If we allow our emotions to guide us and really, really understand their purpose, are they showing up because you're exiting your comfort zone and they want to keep you safe? Or are they showing up because something is out of alignment? We can allow our emotions to be our compass and our guide and our guiding light. Heavy emotions, whether you are diagnosed with a mental illness or not, is not a negative or a weakness. It is just an opportunity for you to cultivate your strength muscle beyond what you believe you are capable of, and then use that strength muscle to be the compass for your life. Wow, that is so so insightful and reframing is something I also love doing. I feel like you can reframe so many things in your life and give it different meaning. And I'm so curious about COVID, right? Like we're recording this during a time of COVID and now there's a new variant and now there's a lot more uncertainty, a lot more fear, a lot more, you know, risk in the air. And so I'm curious as COVID has Um, you know, change and evolved and some states are going back into lockdown, some aren't. How do you manage your disorder, your bipolar 2, and run a business while also trying to scale and, you know, grow and all these different moving pieces that come with entrepreneurship? You know, I think think it's just really understanding the belief that with COVID or not, everything is uncertain. There is no certainty in your lifetime. Nothing is guaranteed. And so once you can really understand that, 
the things that come to you that feel uncertain will rather just be a reflection of the belief that you already know that life is uncertain. So things can seem scarier than others. However, I understand that nothing here is guaranteed to me, not my friends, not my family, not my job, etc. And so it's really reframing and not even reframing, really focusing on what you can control and what you cannot. And in that controlling or in that focusing on what you can control, you can find a sense of stability amongst an ever-changing world, COVID or not. This world changes constantly. This world is uncertain. This lifetime as human beings is a game of uncertainty. And so once you've come to terms with that, it's actually quite freeing because you can you can witness things happening around you. You don't have to bypass the fear and the anxiety that comes up when certain, you know, events happen in your lifetime, but it just allows you to know that this is this is the game of life, uncertainty, and there's a lot of freedom in that. Yeah, and you've talked a lot about the high highs and the low lows that not only come with life, but entrepreneurship too. And I'm sure we've all experienced that in the last, you know, 16 plus months. And I'm curious if you have examples of those high highs and low lows and how you specifically manage them. You know, a low low can be a client emailing you after three weeks of working together, completely disappointed and disgusted in the fact that I took her money because she's not in Forbes yet and all this stuff. People will project crazy expectations and contracts that you thought were beautiful and excited, you know, could be taken from you in a second. That's a low that I've experienced many times. How do I not take things quote unquote personally and allow myself to take responsibility for the parts that I did and as well as maybe the parts of the other person that that just either A, their expectations are too great or B, this is not the right emotional fit for them. So I've had many lows. I think one of my biggest lows was, we talk about in the book, was when I hired my first employee and signed an office um, six months into the business. And then I lost like five big clients because my contracts weren't, um, they were month to month. And so I actually didn't have financial uh, security or uh, the ability to predict future revenue streams over the next few months. And I had basically doubled my overhead and it took me a couple months to recover that roster, but I learned that I really put, you know, now people have to sign at least a four month contract with me, which really ensures stability in my business. But that was a major low, feeling really, really anxious about finances, unable to pay myself. You know, I think I was paying myself like $2,000 a month for a couple months. That was a really, really anxiety provoking moment and phase in my business. The highs include signing incredible women like Kat Sadler and Rebecca Minkoff and Kelly Baker and Demona Hoffman, Vanessa Rossetto, Jessica Zweig. I mean, the list goes on of dream women I've been able to to really work with. Um, I think that one moment of high, I think people really look for that in entrepreneurial stories. When was the one moment that really made it for you? And I prefer to have an accumulation of those moments. I don't believe one moment kind of Sometimes it happens to people that's like more going viral, et cetera. But for me, it's just been a really beautiful steady growth of uphill wins. And when the lows come, I deal with them and and I move on. Is it truly just as easy as moving on? Because to me, hearing that whole story of, you know, you didn't have the the finances or the predictability of what was going to happen. I might be like, you know what, maybe entrepreneurship isn't for me. I'm just going to get a steady job. Have you had those moments at all throughout your career? No, absolutely not. There's no way I will ever, ever, ever work a steady job. I know me, I will get so depressed by day three 
that I will, my mental illness would take me down. See, that's the thing with me is there is no backup plan. I don't care if Scout's agency goes away tomorrow. Do you want to know what I would do? If all of this went away tomorrow, I would become a Postmates driver and maybe work the morning shift at the local coffee shop and I would work on my next business, period. It is the only way I know how to live and entertaining the idea of getting another steady job is just so beyond the scope of possibility in my lifetime that it just, it's not an option. And I don't, to be honest, I don't want it to be an option. Therefore, I make sure that it's not. That resonates a lot with me because I started my business kind of out of accident and out of scarcity. It really was like you were talking about earlier. It was a, it was a way to survive. It was during COVID. My back was against the wall. And once I started it and I launched my first course and it went really well, I was like, there actually is no plan B. Like you said, if I really had to do something extra, I would go get a nanny gig. I would go scoop gelato, which is funny you mentioned that because that's actually what I did before my business. So it really is like so interesting that when you don't have a plan B, you will make it work. Oh, yeah. You know, I think the plan B is probably, I should have put this in my book, having a backup plan is probably the killer of success, right? Because it's just so easy to, to jump back in. You have to you have to want, and that doesn't mean that you have to be so strict with what that business and entrepreneurial pursuit looks like. I'm not strict with it. I go and I flow and I change and evolve and, you know, the business gets to work for you. You don't get to work for the business, but there is something to be said about being very, very stern in in what you want and expect out of your life. Oh, I love that. And you talked about Uh, you wanted to add that to the book. So I'm curious, can you walk us through maybe some of your favorite lessons or things that you wrote about inside The Emotional Entrepreneur? Yeah. So the book is comprised of 25 emotional and mindset lessons that can help you through the challenging moments of entrepreneurship. Many of the lessons can be applied if you are not an entrepreneur and just living, you know, a life of purpose, et cetera. Some of my favorite lessons include um, get an ROI on your pain, which is where I talk about how we all have to go through uncomfortable moments, whether you are working a job you hate or you're in your dream job, there will be painful moments. And so to make sure that if you have to experience discomfort and pain, that it is propelling a future vision forward. Um, One of my other favorite ones is talking about how anxiety has your back and how to really, really get clear on on the relationship you have with anxiety and the role it plays in your life. I love talking about celebrating the small wins and really, really helping women make sure that along the way they are proud of themselves in many, many micro moments. I talk about how to make sure you're believing in yourself, how to stop comparing yourself to other women on the internet, how business is highly personal, um, et cetera. You know, those are some of my favorite, I think. But the, the beauty of the book is that you can read it straight through and then you can go back to it in moments where you feel fear, there's a whole chapter on fear, or when you feel like you're in a scarcity mindset around money, there's a chapter around that. And so it can be picked up and flipped to random chapters as well. Oh, I love that. And I feel like, again, with all the new entrepreneurs that there was this like boom over the last few uh, months and even years, this is something that's going to be so helpful because I not only love that you broke it out into chapters, but the fact that you mention your your bipolar disorder too, because I don't think that a lot of people 
a lot of people would like try to hide that and there's this perfectionist thing that happens that people are like i can't show every side of me or people won't take me serious i can't talk about that time that i had you know a psychosis episode or a depressive episode people won't you know want to work with me and i feel like now more than ever we're starting to see that shift where we are trying to bring our whole humanity into our business which is what it really seems like you did with the emotional entrepreneur yeah, you know, there's a chapter about limiting beliefs where I really break down one of my limiting beliefs was that if I tell my clients that I'm bipolar, no one will want to work with me. And, you know, I have never been shy about my bipolar disorder. I've always talked about it, spoken about it. My sister jokes that I'll tell the barista. It's just not been something that I've ever felt like I need to hide because it's part of my human experience. And I don't understand the idea that part of my human experience does, you know, doesn't deserve to be shared or that I don't get to be shared. And, you know, part, part of that is because my illness was so severe that in many ways it prohibited me from just showing up and appearing fine. Many people knew around me, so there was no physically hiding it for me. But yeah, there's no reason for us to not share who we are. If someone is uncomfortable with it, that's their shit. When we allow ourselves to just be us, I know it sounds courageous or scary or whatever, but it's actually just the truth. It's just who we are. And so for me, I've never felt the disconnect between, you know, it, it was never like, I'm going to be brave today and share my bipolar disorder. It was like, uh, I'm just telling you who I am and what I've been through. It was just for me, very matter of fact. However, in the, in the business world, it's a little different, of course. And that was something I mold around and thought about and, you know, after telling a few clients, after having them follow me on Instagram, where I talk about it pretty openly and nothing happened, I realized that I get to be myself in all areas of my life, which is also something the emotional entrepreneur really touches on is that your work environment and the business you create does not have to follow a set of rules that, that are based on historical societal standards, you know? And so mental health is a big cornerstone of Scouts Agency, and we're going to talk about it. I imagine too, when you bring on any new hires or even clients now that you said you are so open with them can you walk us through maybe like a day in your life or a week in your life like do you actually schedule in mental health breaks like how do you take care of your mental health while running this and running a team every single day you know hour to hour situation i set myself up for success with very very you know strict morning routines and night routines where I don't look at my phone for the first hour and a half in the morning and um, the last hour at night. The first thing I do is journal every single morning, um, just subconsciously brain dumping. I meditate, I move my body, I monitor the thoughts in my brain, I rest when I need to. It's just this constant listening to myself. And my mental health is always my number one priority. And I spend a lot of time and energy every single day making sure that I'm being nurtured and given what I need. And so it's really just having an open dialogue with myself and assessing once you have walked through the healing journey and the personal development journey, you know, you, you get, you get faster at identifying when something is not aligned or when you need a rest, et cetera. And so I am really fluid and I really do give myself what I need when I need it, especially as the entrepreneur and the owner and the boss. That was something that was really important to me. And a reason why I was so drawn to entrepreneurship is that I have the flexibility to give my mental health what it needs when I when I need to do that. And so it's something that I take very seriously. 
it is not something that I am passive about. And when I need a break, I take a break. I love that. I love that you're not only being an example of that, but writing about it, sharing it, talking about it on the podcast, being so public with it, I know is going to help so many people and especially women that are starting their businesses navigate, you know, what we talked about is one of like the biggest uh, self-development journeys of your life is starting a business. So where is everyone going to be able to find the book? So you can buy the book on Amazon, just search Scout Sobel or The Emotional Entrepreneur, or you can come hang with me on Instagram at Scout Sobel. The link to purchase will be in my bio. And Chelsea, I'll give you the link for the show notes and all the things. Amazing. And I have one final question that I ask every guest. And this whole podcast is called In My Non-Expert Opinion. So clearly you're an expert in entrepreneurship and running your agency. But what is something that you're not an expert in that you wish you were? Something that I am not an expert in that I wish I were. (sighs) For some reason, the thing that's coming up is marine biology. I would love to know more about the ocean, about the ocean and how the animals there live on an emotional level, on a survival level, etc. I that was one of my interests when I was really young. Um, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer at SeaWorld, which you know has its issues now. But um, yeah, that would be very very cool to know a lot about the emotional um, sides of whales and dolphins and fish etc oh my gosh yeah then you must have been you must have watched or are going to add this to your watch list our planet or my octopus teacher because i think they go deep into uh undersea life yes that is on my radar and i um i'm avoiding it because i know it'll emotionally change my life and i I don't know if i have the capability right now but it is on my radar I love that. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for coming on. This was such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you leave a review, you will be entered into the giveaway to win the Summer Reboot, the three-day audio course to help you shift your energy. And Mic Drop is open for enrollment. So if you have any questions about anything, be sure to hit me up on Instagram at Chelsea Rife or at Non-Expert Opinion Pod. And be sure to check out Scout's book. It's absolutely incredible. And you can find all her information in the show notes as well as her Instagram at Scout Sobel. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you all next week.